Hey, good morning. Glad you guys are able to join us this morning. How many of you guys are excited? Are you, are, are you guys excited as I am for the Super Bowl? I, I'm like super pumped for the Super Bowl. Who's cheering for Green Bay? Good, good. Who's cheering for the Steelers? You may see the exit to the back rear. So I, I'm actually from Cleveland, Ohio, and there's like nothing in me that can cheer for the Steelers. So, yeah, there you go. All right, man. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So the Pittsburgh fans can see your exit there. I believe there's one here to the right, too. But uh, glad you guys are able to be here this morning. Uh, we're actually, we've been going through a series called Storytellers over the, uh, the month of January. And I'm excited this morning. This morning, I've asked my uh, father-in-law, actually, to come in. And uh, he, he's uh, from Northeast Ohio as well. He came down to share with us. And, and uh, I, I know it's maybe a little nervous. Wow, you know, my father-in-law is going to share. So I, I, can't, I, I can't promise you what he's going to say. So I'm hoping that there's no, like, bad stories or any of that, that sort of stuff going on. But, uh, but I'm excited for him to come down and share just as we wrap up this final series with storytellers because I believe, as we've been saying through this series, God is telling a story through each of our lives, but he's also telling a story through this church plant. And so I'm excited to, uh, to have Steve come down and just share with us this morning. So thanks for doing that. Oops, excuse me. Hey guys, I'm glad to be here today, and uh, I got to have some mic stories. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to, I got to do my part. I mean, as we introduced ourselves as Connie's parents and Mike's in-laws, I always preface by saying, somebody's got to be, right? Someone's got to be his in-laws. But uh, I know that uh, Mike's been uh, leading you through a series called Storytellers, and I've had a chance to listen online. And for those of you who post that online, thank you. It's great that we can be in Ohio, in Northeast Ohio, and still know what's happening here each Sunday as we hear the messages. And I know that Mike's been leading through a lot of challenge about the life of David and the story that's being told. So today we're going to look at a story of David as well. And this is one that maybe you're familiar with. If you grew up around church at all, you might have heard about David and Goliath. And uh, it's going to be an interesting story when we look at this. But it's going to be a story about perspective. I have here on this little stool... A glass. Perspective helps us when we face challenges, we face problems, and we look at the issues that seem to bombard us on a daily basis. How we see ourselves, how we see our God, and how we see the problem is going to determine how we tackle that and how we face that. And you know the old age. When you look at this, what do you see? You see a glass. Is the glass half full or the glass half empty? Perspective will determine how you view that and how you respond to that. Mike mentioned we have the, uh, uh, I, I almost said the word honor. I don't know about that. But we're from Northeast Ohio, okay? So we support Cleveland Browns. Uh, someone's got to, right? Just like the in-law thing, someone's got to. Okay, and so when you look at Cleveland Browns, you can look at it from two perspectives, perpetual losers or the, my favorite saying, wait till next year, Right? Okay, Cleveland Browns fans, that's our favorite saying. We have Steeler envy, so what can I say? Seven rings, come on, share a little bit, will you? Okay, that's just not fair. That's just not fair at all. And so we see those things. And then there's my son-in-law. Now, I'm going to tell a story about Mike to start off with a little bit. Now, this story somewhat resembles the truth. You know, I can't say I would ever tease him a little bit or give him a hard time, but, you know, Mike is a sports guy, right? And... Well, I guess you can call it that. Okay, Mike's a sports guy. <laughs> he likes basketball. He likes about anything with the ball he likes. I've seen him play golf, 
if you really want to have a good time, take him out to play golf sometime. <laughs> I think one time he broke my club on a drive. I'm pretty sure. So you'll have fun with him on that one. But Mike, picture this Mike as a little guy, right? And I really didn't know Mike as a little guy, so I might embellish this a little bit, but it's there. Okay, Mike's a little, a little guy, and uh, he likes all kinds of sports. One of the things he really likes is baseball. And Mike used to walk around all the time saying, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. I am the greatest hitter in the world. He didn't understand this. I am second thing yet. Okay, he's just a little guy. I am the greatest hitter in the world, right? So one day he decides to go out and prove it. He walks out into the backyard. He grabs his bat. He grabs his baseball. And he takes it. And he throws it up there. And he goes to hit that ball. And it's a swing and a miss. Strike one. Oh, how can that be? I'm the greatest hitter in the world. So he picks the ball off the ground, throws it up again. A swing and a, oh, a miss again. He said, no, I am the greatest hitter in the world. One more shot. He takes it, throws the ball up in there, swings back with that bat, whoosh, strike three. Can't believe it. Mike puts his head down. He pauses for a second. Then a smile comes across his face. He looks up and says, you know what? I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> now, can you see that with Mike? Huh? Can you? I said it sort of resembles the truth. But today we're going to look at a story of David and Goliath. Now, let me just give you a little background to David before I, I pull Mike up here and embarrass him a little bit more. But uh, David, is a, he's the youngest of eight sons. Now, in the, in the uh, culture in which he lived, sons were pretty, pretty important. Fathers sort of looked up to him. They thought, this is great. I have a son. going to carry on the family name. It was a big deal. David was the youngest of eight sons. Matter of fact, the, he had older brothers who were all big and handsome and strong and that kind of thing. Dave was just a little guy. About the time of this story, I know Mike's been walking through the story of David, but at the time of the story, Dave was probably 17, maybe 18 years old. He was just a teenager, just a young guy as he was out there. And his job, he actually, as the youngest boy, he had the lowest job in the family. Now, I don't know what the lowest job in your family is. But just, he had the lowest job in family. His job was the shepherd. He took care of the sheep. Stinky old sheep that would wander off everywhere. He had to go out in the fields, far away from home, camp out in the fields at night, sleep with the sheep, just keep them in line and protect them. That was his job. David, go take care of the sheep. Now, at our house, maybe at your house, it might be the same. The worst job in the family, try to put this in perspective, is usually what? The trash? Okay? Our house, uh, trash was usually second from the bottom. You know what the bottom was? How, who said that? Okay, she, she heard that. See, at the, we have two large Labrador retrievers. And Labrador retrievers like to leave presents all over the yard. Okay? And so the first, the, the lowest job in our family was clean up the dog poop out of the yard. I mean, that was it. Okay? So picture that. The worst job in the family, that's what David got to do. Why? Because he was the youngest guy. As a matter of fact, in the chapter, right before we're going to look at chapter 17, and by the way, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's near the front of your Bible, maybe about a quarter of the way back, and it's right after you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and there's a few other books in there. And you'll see the books that begin with 1 and 2, and it's going to be 1 Samuel. Oh, and before I forget, you don't normally do this, but uh, I'd ask Mike to have uh, this printed up. Whoever did this did a great job. We actually have a little flyer that, that's there for you with some blanks on there to fill in because there's some things I want you to remember as we sort of close off the story on storytellers, the series on storytellers. As we sort of look at some of these things, there's some things that I think God wants to speak to your heart and to your life and to Awaken Church this weekend. 
and I want us to be able to remember that. So if you have those and you feel like filling in some blanks, please do that as we go along tonight. But David was so, uh, so looked down upon. He's just the little guy, right? He had the lowest job in the family. I mean, anybody can do that. That in the chapter before this, actually there's a prophet named Samuel. He showed up at David's house, talked to his dad, said, hey, I'd like to meet your boys. He said, sure, I'd love to show my boys. I got big, strong, strapping boys, right? Love you to meet them. So he goes and calls his boys one by one for Samuel to, to meet. And Samuel says, okay, I'm, I'm looking for a special guy, though, and, and I'm looking for one of your sons. I think God's just impressed it upon my heart, so bring him out to me. Let me see him. And uh, Jesse, which is David's dad, brings out all of the sons, starting with the oldest one first, and brings them out. And Samuel's like, dude, these guys are strong. They're young. They're, they're hip. They're ready to go. God's favor has got rust in one of these boys. He finally gets through all seven of them. He says, you know, this just isn't it. Jesse, are, are you sure you brought all your boys to me? He's like, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me see one, two, three. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot about David. That's right. But he, he, he's just a shepherd. He's just out in the field taking care of the sheep. You don't really want to see David, do you? You do? Okay. Hey, one of you guys want to go get David? Tell him to take a shower first. Okay, he stinks. Bring him in here. And so they bring David to, to Samuel, and David said, this is the guy I'm looking for. See, that's how David was. He wasn't a big, powerful, strong guy that everyone looked at and said, he's the guy. He was just a guy a small teenage guy who was out there trying to do his best. The Bible tells us when he took care of the sheep, he did it with the best of his ability. It was the lowest job in the family, but he poured everything into it. And God used that perspective to make a difference in David's life, which in turn can make a difference in our life, which in turn can make a difference in Awaken. And that's what we're going to look at today. So here's how the story starts. In 1 Samuel 17, the story starts out with a battle. And what happened in this day and age when uh, the nation of Israel had its borders and they tried to protect their borders and they have a standing army that would go out to defend against any invading army that tried to take their land. Well, during this particular chapter, the Philistines were always battling border scrimmages with them. And they decided to bring an army over to meet Israel and attack and try to take back some land that they felt they deserved. So they brought their army, and if you can imagine, their army was over here on this hill. Picture this as a hill. And here's their army, and they're all lined up against on this hill, and they're ready to go to battle. And then there's a valley down below, and the other side is the other hill. And this is where the Israelites came. They lined up on this hill, and they get lined up on both sides of the hill. And then when the trumpet is sounded, and the battle cry is, and the charges said, go after them, they run down to the valley, and they fight it out. Victor gets the land. Loser goes home with a tail between her legs. That's how it's supposed to work. And this particular day, they ended up with a giant problem, and they ended up with a, a giant uh, mistake as well. So take your Bibles, if you have them. If not, the verses are going to be up on the screen here. We're going to see here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, here's the story. We're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 4. And I'll just move myself here until I can get a little light so I can see this. Here we go, verse 4. Here's the story of Goliath. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Now, this is what's different. They normally line up and they charge. But this particular day, this giant showed up, and he walked out, and he made a challenge. It says he came out of the camp. Um, he was over nine foot tall. Actually, he was about nine foot, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weight, 5,000 shekels. What's that? That's about 125 pounds. This one big dude here. 
Okay. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. A bronze, bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point, the tip of that spear, weighed 600 shekels. In other words, 15 pounds, just a tip that he would use as a spear to throw. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out from the line to, uh, to land for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, see, this was a battle to the death. If I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. He drew up a whole new battle plan. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul, who's the king, and all the Israelites, the army, were dismayed and terrified. And then jump to verse 16. It says this, For 40 days the Philistine came forward, morning and evening, and took his stand. For 40 days he made this challenge. For 40 days he stood out there. Now I wanted to get this perspective here. This is where I've asked Mike to come up here. We have a giant. Mike, come on up here. I've got this ladder I'm pulling out here. Now, imagine this. Here's a 17-year-old boy. He, he, he's going to be fighting a guy named... Now, Mike, I want you to stand up here. Now, nine foot tall, picture this. We've, we've measured this out to find up. He has to go pie. And I've got this vat of jelly he's going to jump into now. You ready? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll catch you, Mike. <laughs> you just keep thinking that. Now, picture this. Here is Goliath. He's one huge dude. This is, Mike would stand on this ladder right now, nine foot, nine inches tall. That's how big he was. Probably, one, picture a, an NFL linebacker, maybe six foot six, maybe 295, 300 pounds, just a massive guy. Picture that 50% bigger, nine foot nine, about 425 pounds, all muscle. Okay, his coat of armor that he wore to protect his chest, 125 pounds. How many of us can carry that? 125 pounds, and he moved agilely with that. He had a spear of bronze. He had a sword. He had somebody else's shield was so big, it took one man just to carry his shield in case he got into hand-to-hand combat. And it says that he was undefeated. Imagine this. Every time Goliath had a battle, it was to the death. And he still stood, which meant he was undefeated. And a guy this big came out, and that massive probably would have filled that whole doorway in width. I know it's hard to imagine with Mike standing there, but just use your imagination. Okay, a big, massive, strong guy. Thanks, Mike. You can jump if you want. And just, uh, just as we go on a little bit later, if you look at this exit sign, the top of that exit sign is about 9 foot 9 inches. So we're talking about a huge, massive guy. Now, he was the giant problem, but here's the giant mistake that the Israelites made, and I want us to catch this. That's why I put it in the notes over here. Here's the biggest problem. They broke from what they typically did. They let the enemy they let the enemy define the rules. So instead of coming out and sounding a battle charge and running to the middle of the valley and fighting the battle, what happened? Something different happened. This huge giant shows up and he's a problem and he's calling them out and he's He's uh, insulting them and calling curses down upon them, saying, come out and fight me. Come on, little girls, let's go. And they get scared. Suddenly, everything's changed. Why? Because they let the enemy 
define what the battle was. They also were terrified by the size of a giant. Nine foot, nine inches. I mean, I'm not a big guy. That's huge. They'd never seen anything like this before. And to face them one-on-one in combat, that was suicide. They weren't going to do that. And because of the immensity of this man, how huge he was, they were scared to death. He wasn't a normal guy they were going to fight. Yeah, we can do that. We do that every day. He was a huge fighting machine that was undefeated. And all of a sudden, they, they, they let him define the problem. They were terrified by the size. See, here's the problem. They saw the problem. They didn't see the solution. They saw the problem. They didn't see the solution. They looked and said, man, what are we going to do? If you can imagine this, here's a guy who's insulting them, calling them out day after day after day. Picture this. The Bible tells us that every day they got ready for battle. Every day they gave a war cry, let's go get them. And every day they ran to the top of the, of the mountain, top of the hill. And the enemy was on the other side of the hill. And they stood there, they faced each other, and they're ready to fight until some big dude walks out and calls them out, and they get all scared. And the Bible says they were actually terrified. And at some point they would even run away because they were so fearful of this guy. They let him define the rules. They're terrified by his size. They saw the problem and not the solution. And here's the biggest thing. They became paralyzed by fear. See, that's what happens when we focus on the problem and not the solution, right? Suddenly, the more we focus on the problem, the bigger it begins to be. The more it seems impossible, the more we think it can't happen, the bigger and more insurmountable it becomes. And we look at that and we say, how are we ever going to? It's so big, I, I, I don't even think we can do it. Maybe we should just like back off and run away. That's where they were. And imagine, on this side, there's the enemy, all fighting men ready to go. On that side, there's the Israelites, all fighting men ready to go. And they let one big guy, one problem, who called them out, stop everything they were doing. And it, it threw them all in turmoil. They got all scared and they actually says they trembled in fear. thousand men stand on that. If they rushed him at one time, he wouldn't have stood a chance. But see, he re- redefined the rules. He said, we're going to fight a different way, guys. You said one, I'm going to stand here. Best man wins. Scared him to death. They didn't know what to do. They had a big problem. Well, as we move on, we're going to see that, um, sort of like as we continue the story, meanwhile, back at the ranch. So what happened is three of David's oldest brothers were at this battle. And it had been a month, 40 days had gone by, and their father hadn't heard anything back. He assumed they were heavy in battle. And can you imagine a battle lasting 40 days? Something's got to be wrong. David, come here. Come here out of the field, will you? Can you do me a favor? I want to go see how your brothers are doing, so I'm going to send you to go check them out. So take along you know, some grain and some bread and some provisions for them. Go out to the battlefront, because if they're fighting the enemy, they got to be. And go check on them and then bring me back some good word, please, because I'm really concerned about my older sons. Can you check them out for me? So David, sure enough, he, he grabs the provisions. He goes, takes a journey out to the battle lines. He gets out there. He leaves the provisions with the, with the guy who's in charge of the, of the provisions of the army. And he goes out to the battle line just as the army's coming out. And there's the battle cry, let's go! And everyone's all pumped and excited. He's, and David's getting excited. He says, man, there's going to be a battle today. So he walks out with them, and he walks out to the battle line, and he's going to watch and see these two armies fight. As he stands there, something strange happens. And I love the way the Bible puts it. It says, Goliath came out and gave his usual defiant challenge. 
after 40 days, I mean, that's all they heard. Morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, 40 days. The usual defiant challenge. That problem didn't go away, right? Because they were afraid of it, it didn't go away. Because they wouldn't deal with it, it didn't go away. Just by backing away from it, didn't change anything. Goliath came out day after day after day, gave his defiant challenge, and they stood there shaking in their armor. They were scared to death. So he comes out to check on them. What happens is he overhears Goliath's challenge. David, David says, what's up with this guy? Yeah, he's a big dude, but you know what? We are God's army. God has his blessing upon us. He told us this was our land. So what are you waiting for, guys? Let's go after him. Everyone's like, shut up. And his, his older brothers, you know how it is when you're the older brother, I'm the oldest brother, and your younger brothers tell you something that you should be doing? Doesn't really go across very well, does it? You know? You're like, shut up, you little punk. You know? And that's what his brothers did. They told him to shut up, and they said, who's watching those little sheep that you're supposed to watch out in the stinky fields? Why don't you go take care of them? You know? Leave us alone. We're the men. David's like, what? Leave me alone. You know, he, he started asking again, what's going to happen? And then he said, I can't believe the armies of Israel are going to let one man step out there and stop you in track. I can't believe you're going to do that. Well, word gets to the king. Hey, there's some guy here who's talking pretty tough. He thinks he can take that giant on. The king calls him up. David walks up to him and says, hey, king, don't be afraid. Rest it. I'll go fight the giant. And the king's like, what are you talking about? He looks at David, and then he looks at that giant, and he looks at David, and he looks at that giant, undefeated champion. He says, you know, David, that guy has been a warrior longer than you've been alive. And in case you haven't noticed, that guy's a champion. He's never lost. You know why? Because he's still standing. And you think you're going to go take him? Ain't going to happen. Here's what I want you to catch. Here's how David responded, because I think in David's response, he shows us something that we need to get our hands around. Not only personally in my life, as I deal with these huge insurmountable problems which seem to come our way, but also as a wake in church. And we look out there and we see, Mike, how many people live in the, in the greater Virginia Beach area? Half a million people. That is huge. I think we're outnumbered just a little bit, right? So how do we tackle a problem that big? We can gain some insights from, from what David had said. So when David went to Saul and said, hey, I can do this, Saul said, no, you can't. You're just a little guy. You can't take on this guy. You don't know what you're doing. And here's what, uh, what David said. Look over here in uh, verse 34. Here's what David said to Saul. He said, hey, your servant. Now, isn't it interesting? David's not being cocky. He's not going off and saying, hey, Saul, man, I'm like this lean, mean fighting machine. Let him out of me. David just says, hey, I'm just a servant, and I'm a shepherd, but I believe in a God who can do great things. And so because of that, I think God can help me take this guy. Here's what he says. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, check this out. When a lion or a bear, pretty big, pretty scary in my opinion, if I'm out, if I'm out in the woods, I'm out in the field, and a lion or bear comes by, uh, I don't think I'm sticking around. I think I'm finding the uh, safest place to be and getting out of there. But look what David did. David said, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant, there's that servant word again, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. Why? 
because he stood up to me and called me out and called me names? Nah, that's not it. Why? Because, because he thinks he's hot stuff and, and we're going to take him? No. He says, why? He says, um, because he has defiled, or defied rather, the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, uh, the Lord be with you. Saul's like, okay, man, I can see you're determined. I can see you're going to do this. I can see you're not afraid. So uh, let's go for it. And then Saul tries something. He says, you know what, David, though? Like, this guy's really decked out, okay? He's got all the latest weapons. What do you got? Nothing. So here's what you're going to do. You're so determined you're going to do this, coming over here. So he calls David over to his tent. He says, here, David, you're a little guy. You don't know how to fight fights. Let me tell you what you're going to do. First of all, you're going to wear my armor. He starts throwing his armor on top of David. Now, Saul's a big dude. David's a little guy, and his armor is just like big and heavy, and he, he puts on his helmet and his, his coat of mail that's going to protect him, and he straps his sword into his side, and he puts his shoes on, and David just like trying to walk around and says, like, I can't do this. I cannot actually go out there and take on this guy with this stuff on. You see, that's not me. You see, I know who I am, and I can't do this. David says, I'm going to take him on with what I know. And you know what David knew? He was a shepherd. So what do shepherds know? He took a wooden staff. It says he went over to a stream, and he bent down, and out of that stream, he picked up five little smooth brook stones. He stuck them in his little pouch, and he had a sling. Now, it's not the kind of sling that we have that you pull back and let go with the, with the rubber on there and shoots a projectile out. What it is, it was a little pouch, a little flap with two leather straps on. They would hold them in their hands and put the stone there, and they would swing it over their heads like this, and they would let go of one of the, of one of the strings, and that stone would fly out. And shepherds got to be pretty good at, at controlling those stones, but that's what he had, a wooden staff, five stones, five stones, and a sling, and he walks out there. It's an amazing thing. When he shows up, Goliath gets a little ticked because he's uh, pretty ticked off that, David comes out to him and says, what, you're sending some little boy out to fight me? Who do you think I am? And he gets very ticked about what's going on uh, with David there. And he calls him down. It says here, he says, it despised him in his heart. He cursed him, and he promised to kill him and literally rip him limb from limb and let the birds and the, and the animals of the field eat his flesh. That's what David was going up, a nine-foot-nine giant, as tall as that sign, a 17-year-old kid going out to take him on, and he's saying, I'm going to lip you, rip you limb from limb. Well, let's look at the story. Let's see what happened here. Uh, verse 45 to 50. Now, the rest of the story, is, that's all the more we're going to read here. But So David came out to the Philistine. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. He's calling it straight. He's saying, hey, this isn't just a battle. This is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual battle. Yeah, the armies, they see physical men. They see, they see weapons. But David says, it's not just a battle of will and a battle of men. It's a spiritual battle that we're facing out here today. He goes on to say, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Pretty graphic terms. Today I will give you your carcass to the, the carcass of you and the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know what? That I'm a great fighting man and I'm the champion? No. 
David says, the whole world will know that I'm number two. Because he says, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here today will know that it's not by sword or by spear the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So it goes on to tell the story. Maybe you've heard this before, but it says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, it says David ran quickly towards the battle. He didn't hang back. He wasn't afraid. He knew what he had to do. He ran towards that giant as fast as he could. It says he ran quickly towards the battle, lions to meet him. Reaching into his bag, he took out a stone, and he slung it, and the stone struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell down on the ground. It says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a, a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck in the Philistine and he killed him. That is the story of David and Goliath. That is a powerful story that helps us to see how God deals with huge problems in their life. But here's a couple things I want us to recognize, and you'll see in the screen, I want you to write some of these down. If, if you're into writing, you can do that. You have those notes. Write down, because I want you to remember this. We see the first thing here. A few, I'm going to look at a couple of insights, and then a couple of applications. Here's a couple of insights. When David stood on that hill, and the armies of the Philistines stood there, and Goliath came out, David understood one thing. He knew who he was. He says, hey, I'm just a shepherd boy. I'm a servant. I'm not a great fighting man. He knew who he was. He didn't try to pretend. When David said, let me put all this armor on you and give you everything I've got, and you go fight the battle my way, David, David says, no, sorry, man. That's not who I am. I'm just a shepherd guy. I'm a shepherd boy. But you know what? God empowered me, and when the lion came and took my sheep, it was my responsibility to protect those sheep. I mean, for me, I said, hey, it's just one. He's a big lion. Who cares? He can have the one. Leave me alone. A a bear shows up. It's just one. What does it matter? David said, no way. My job is to protect. I'm going to go do it. And he went after it. David knew who he was. Here's another thing. David also knew who God was. David said, the very same God that protected me from the lion and the bear is going to protect me here. Why? See, I saw God do it before. There's a track record. I put myself out there. God did something. God came through. He accomplished what only God could accomplish. And when I saw that, I realize, you know, God did it there, and that was a smaller thing. This is a little bit bigger thing. I think God can do it here, too. And I'm just going to trust that that God can work through me to accomplish this thing. And he said, let's go for it. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. And he also knew who the enemy was. You see, when he stood there, you know, the enemy was that big dude that was out there. That really wasn't an enemy, was it? The enemy was this whole nation that was coming against them. He just represented that nation. And he realized it was a spiritual battle. God has given us the victory already. We just have to go out and, and, and do our part for him to follow through and make it happen. David knew that it was a spiritual battle. He knew who Goliath was. It wasn't his brothers who, who, who uh, made fun of him and said, Get out of here, you little runt. Just leave us alone. It wasn't him. It wasn't the king who tried to dress him up in all his armor, have him do it his thing, his way. It wasn't all that. He knew who the real enemy was. It was Goliath and everything that Goliath stood for, and he wasn't going to stand there and take it. He went after it. Those are a few things that help us. Now, think about this in our own personal life. He knew who he was, and here's the question. Who are you? Who am I? Do you know who you are? 
you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what God has done for you and what God wants to do through you? As we begin to recognize who we are in here and what God has done through us and how God sees us, it changes the way that we view those problems. No longer do we stand like the armies there said, I'm so scared, he's so big. David said, yeah, he's a big dude, but you know what? My God is bigger, and I think my God can take him. And he stepped out and did what only God can do because he, he went out there. He knew who he was. He also knew who God was. He knew that God wants to accomplish great things. In a, in a minute here, we're going to show a video. And the video is going to sort of walk us through maybe the last couple of years of Awakened Church and what God has done here. As Awakened Church, as we sit in this auditorium here today, we may look around and say, you know what? We're not huge yet, are we? We're not there yet. But I believe that God can use us, Awakened Church, to accomplish amazing things in the lives of individuals, in the lives of this community, and really, Mike's vision, in the, in the lives of people all around this world as Awakened Church is sent out all over the world to change lives as God does that through you. I believe that can happen. But as long as we don't know who we are, we don't know who God is, and we think the enemies, everything stands in our way, it ain't going to happen. But I think it can. Last thing, turn the next page of your outline. You're going to see this. A couple of uh, applications. This is what David's life teaches us. I think this is critical. I don't want you to forget this one. Here's what David taught us. First of all, be faithful in the little things. David had the lowest job in the family, right? Taking care of the stinky sheep out in the field. Who really cares if you lose a couple? But David would say, no, you don't understand. That's my job. That's my responsibility. I'm not going to let it go away. I'm going to do my very best. David was faithful in the little things. And as we in our lives stand before God and say, you know what? I'm just living my life. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to be faithful in wherever God puts me today. It will begin to make a difference. We've got to be faithful in little things. Awake in church. Um, what was it? Uh, I'm going to mention this a little, bit later, a little bit later, but a year ago. Was it, was it a year ago, Mike? The very first um, uh, Valentine's Day candy Hershey handout hand a year ago. And a year ago, we were down here helping things out. And a year ago, that's when we ran into Leah, wasn't it? We ran into you in the, in the grocery store. We're just being faithful in little things, just handing out candy bars. What's that really going to do? How's that going to touch someone's life? Lee and Trapper are here because we ran into them in a store handing out candy bars, and God used that. Faithful in the little things. As those little things, as you're faithful in not doing those little things, and big things will happen. Lives will be changed. Things will take place. Here, if you're faithful in the little things, then you can be bold in the big things. See, why did David stand up to Goliath? He didn't walk out of the fields and one day say, ooh, this is the first big issue I faced, the first giant I've seen. I think I'm going to stand up to him. No, see, David was faithful in little things with the lion and the bear, and he knew that God can do amazing things. And so he said, you know what? I can be bold in big things. Why? Because all through my life, I've been faithful in those little things I have to deal with on a daily basis. And because of that, I'm able to go out and say, I'm going to take on the big things. And here's the last thing. David knew this. He knew to let God do his thing. David says, I'm not some great warrior. I'm not going out there to take this guy out by myself. It's really God who's doing it. I'm just being the tool. I'm just going to go out there and step out there because somebody needs to. I'm going to walk out and say, I'm not going to let this disgrace stand in front of Israel. I'm going to go out there because I've seen God work in my life and all these little things. I think he can do something big through me. And so because of that, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to step out and face this giant. And I really believe that God will use me 
to accomplish what God wants to do here. It's not, he says, it's not by spear, it's not by might, it's not by sword. It's by the power of God that this is going to happen. David understood that. Why? Because he was going to let God do his thing. David had to put himself out there, but he put himself in a situation that unless God came through, he was dead meat literally on the side of the mountain. And he put himself out there and let God do his thing. That's how we apply this to our lives today. Be faithful in the little things. Be bold in the big things. And let God do his thing. As that happens, amazing things are going to happen, I believe, not only in our lives, in Grace Church. We want to see God's power demonstrated, really, in the past through the life of David, in the present through our lives here today, and the future and what Awaken may do. I asked Mike for a little timeline because, believe it or not, God has been working in Awaken for a long time. God awakened a vision in their hearts. And um, I'm just going to take a couple minutes and walk down through a timeline. I want you to hear this timeline, and then we're going to play a video which you're going to see some of this actually literally spilled out in front of you here and see if you can't recognize what some of this was. But I, I was talking to Connie and Mike. It was the summer of 2003 when they first came to Virginia Beach. They came with a team of, of students, and they were doing a missions trip here. And they came here, and they started getting a burden in the heart for Virginia Beach. They came back again in 2007 with a, with a, a summer missions team and a discipleship group that they were, a, a year-long discipleship training group they were doing in 2007. So 2003, it began. 2006, the four of us came back, and Mike said, I just really feel God's leading me to Virginia Beach. And we're like, Virginia Beach? How about like Akron, Ohio? You know, that's much closer to home. We'd even talked about going out, and and Mike was really thinking about, praying about starting a church plant in Akron, Ohio. But he says, you know what? I just really feel like God's burdening us and saying, come to Virginia Beach. So we drove down to Virginia Beach, and we knocked on doors and checked out the area and just saw, hey, what's God doing here? Mike and Connie walked and prayed and thought, how can God use us here? Came back again in 2007, kept coming back. God kept impressing upon their heart. What are we going to do here? So Mike said, you know what? Sorry, Dad, we're not doing Akron, Ohio. We're doing Virginia Beach. And we thought, well, I guess we're going to make a lot of trips to Virginia Beach because we're going to have fun coming down here and helping them uh, do this. In August of 2008, Mike met with five people. Mike and Connie, there's five of them met in their living room, and some of them moved down here to be part of this church plant and to begin to pray how God's going to do this. In April of 2009 was the first Easter egg hunt for the community. And groups had come along and tried to help and, and did the first Easter egg hunt. This was amazing here. In August of 2009 um, was the first outreach event done entirely by this church. It was the first soccer camp. That was an amazing thing. You guys, it was phenomenal watching the output of that, what you guys did. Seven people gathered together with, uh, for the soccer camp and made an impact. People started coming to Awaken because of that soccer camp. Seven people did it. It was just amazing. In November of 2009, that's when they got hooked up with Kempsville Lake. And I remember coming down and doing the Harvest Fest in Kempsville Lake and seeing the tremendous response from the people in the community who started coming out and... and uh, Seeing Awaken Church and Awaken begin to make a real difference. I remember the guy at, at Kempsville Lake said, this is awesome. You guys come back here as much as you want because we love what you're doing. We haven't seen a church that actually comes to a community and begins reaching out and doing things for people like that. They were encouraged by that. Uh, 
December 2009 was the very first pre-launch service. They said, we're thinking that God's leading us to this, to step out. And they got Pembroke Mall right here and said, let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and see what God may do in December of 2009. In January of, of, uh, of last year, the first small group of four people met to get things going. In January of, uh, February of, uh, of 10, that's when we had the, the Valentine's outreach and Leah got connected with uh, Awakened Church. In March was the first public worship service held on Palm Sunday in March. In September that year, we saw the first people give their lives to Christ. In October through November, great growth happened. We saw the most people that, that have showed up, the largest attendance as a new church. In January of this year, of 2011, just, a few, just last month, two people, or two weeks in a row, people made decisions that Christ is their Savior. And in January of this year, Mike took a huge step and said, you know what, uh, I'm going to step away from engineering part-time and go full-time with the church and see how God might be able to use a full-time pastor in this church to move us forward on that. February of 2011, that story is yet to be written. But it's just the beginning of God may, what God may be doing, being faithful in the little things, bold in the big things, and letting God do his thing. A final thought, what would happen if we as individuals, and we as awakened church, would be faithful in the little things that God has given us to do. What would happen if we, as individuals, we, as awakened church, would allow God to work in us so we could be bold in those big things, the things that seem impossible, those giant problems that seem to face us? What could God do? And then what would happen if we, as individuals, and we, as awakened church, let God do what only he can do and do his thing in our life, his thing in our church, his thing in our community. What could God do to make a difference in Virginia Beach because of Awakened Church? <laughs>